Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hi, my name is Darren and I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. Hey guys, and welcome to the latest episode of Disability After Dark. I'm really happy you're here. I'm really happy you clicked. And I'm really happy you want to listen to this next latest episode. I'm actually really excited for this episode because this one picks off, picks off, picks up directly after the last episode where Dominic Evans and I were talking about film representation and disability. This episode does even more than that. So let me talk a little bit about it and then I'll share it with you. Can't wait for you to hear this one. So, when Dominic and I recorded a couple weeks ago, we kind of just talked straight for two hours. It was, a, it was a kind of a long stream of consciousness discussion where I didn't say very much. And you'll hear in this next segment that I, didn't, I barely spoke. I just kind of agreed with him and nodded and made kind of funny jokes on the side. He had a lot to say about his experiences as a trans disabled man. Um, what it was like coming out, what it was like using hormones, what it was like living in a small town, access. We talk about kink and BDSM access. We talk about so many different things here. But what I really appreciate the most about Dominic and about this conversation was that he just got to share his story. At some point, when you do podcasting work around people's stories, you have to just shut up and listen. And that's really, as I was even editing the podcast down, for the for to release it for right now, I listened to the whole podcast again, and I was like, "Wow, this story is brilliant!" And I'm so honored to be given the space and the opportunity to share this with the world, and to have Dominic want to tell this story and tell things he's never told anybody before, and share that in such a unique, vulnerable way is really a privilege. And so I'm really excited to bring this to you. Here is part two of my interview with Dominic Evans, right here on Disability After Dark. Um, so, I want to move into your identity piece a little bit and talk to you about um, your identity as a transgender disabled person, because I think that it's so important. Yeah, that, did I ever tell you my preferred pronouns? Because I don't remember. Um, if not, they are he, him. Awesome, thank you. You didn't, so uh, now we know them. They're he, him, and mine are he, him, and thank you right. for putting them out there. Um, and that's something that I'm going to do with every guest from now on. Great. Uh, that's awesome. Sure that everybody's comfortable and feels safe and feels respected. And I just You know, I wish that more people would do that, especially um, when people call you on the phone um, or when you call to set up services like when you call a doctor, it'd be really awesome if they asked your preferred pr- pronouns. Um, you know, I'm sure you know, being a disabled person, all the kinds of calls you have to make for um, disability services and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And I constantly get misgendered all the time, all the time, because uh, a lot of people say my voice sounds kind of androgynous. And the first place people go is female when they hear androgyny it seems and so i'm constantly having to tell people 
No, as you can see, my name's Dominic. And I, I love it, especially when they have my gender in front of them and they still call me ma'am. It's like, you know, you just, it says male. You just ask me my gender and you call me ma'am. And, and, you know, they become very flustered, but it's like, are you even looking at your screen? You know, yeah, it's like, why, why are you being so blatantly uh, incorrect about this? Right. Right. Um, so asking people is great. Yeah, no, I think it's so important. And I think part of the reason why you are labeled as androgynous is because you're also a person with a disability. So because you, you don't have the, you don't have the typically hyper masculine voice that they're expecting. Right. And you're, and you're in a wheelchair. They assume you're this cherubic, young, childlike person. Well, you may you well you may identify as male. They still see you as a childlike cherub person that can. Yeah, and and we don't really think of children in terms of gender. And um, I often feel like my gender identity is completely erased. Uh, people almost look through me when I'm in public. Do you ever feel that way? Like they they look right at you, but they're not looking at you. And I I could go out in a full full beard, uh, you know, and you know, looking like I come from you know the wilderness and haven't seen a razor in in two years. And people will look right at my beard and say, hey, ma'am, what's up? And it's... Oh, no, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's this disconnect between a disabled person is a human just like everyone else. And, you know, it's, it's like all they see is the wheelchair. Yeah, and especially because you embody so many identities um, that they, I think that they're probably... Not that it's right because it isn't right, but I feel like they're probably flustered and they don't know, they don't right. know how to respond to the fact that you are a trans person with disabilities. Like that's right, right, shocking. That's like that's a whole other that's a whole other section of the kind of like the shock and awe value of disability is taken to another level with you being trans because they just don't know how to process that. They can process if you are, you know, if you're a woman with disabilities who has facial hair but but oh my goodness you're a trans person with disabilities wow that's just too much to handle right well usually they think that if they think anything if they look at me they will think i'm male if they, if they figure it out but usually they just talk to my girlfriend who's with me they don't even acknowledge that i'm there so <laughs> that's just so ridiculous right um, can you share with us more of your experience as a trans person with disabilities and kind of like go into that a little bit? Because I think it's important that the audience hear about it. And I think it, as long as you're comfortable sharing that story. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to know about, um, is there anything in particular you want to know about me being trans? Like, do you want to know my background, how I discovered I was trans or yeah, I mean, if, talk if you, about anything? If, if you want to share all those stories and how, how your discovery of being trans um, yeah. can connected to your discovery of your, you know, or not discovery, but your, your coming into your disabled identity and how all those things coalesce, that'd be great. Right, right. Okay. Um, so when I was a teenager, one of my friends was gay and we were just having a talk one day and he said, have you ever found women attractive. And I honestly had never thought about that. I had had a boyfriend, but it was very much, you know, the idea of having a boyfriend as opposed to wanting to have one, you know? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the story of my life. I right. have the idea of wanting a boyfriend, but never actually have had one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. If I can send any your way, I will. Awesome. Just a whole buffet of men. I think you'll appreciate it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So anyway, um, so at first I was like, no. I mean, I grew up in a very conservative, small town outside Toledo, Ohio, and I didn't know any gay people. I didn't know any trans people. I mean, I'm sure I knew them, but I didn't know what being gay was. This was back in the early nineties. Um and so when there as, was like nothing of <laughs> what? 
So when there was nothing available in terms of like gender right. gender identity, gay was just being started to be a thing, a topic of discussion. Right, right. We'd never had anybody um like Ellen on TV. You know, Ellen really I was old enough to really, you know, watch Ellen and and see the whole Ellen coming out, Ellen losing her show. Yeah. And then Ellen reinventing herself. Um and and she really opened doors. She really did. No matter how you feel about Ellen, she opened a lot of doors in terms of starting the conversation and saying, I'm here, I'm queer, just get over it, you know? Yeah. Um, and when I was a kid, there was none of that. And my parents weren't exactly homophobic. Um, well, that's complicated. My dad wasn't really homophobic. My mom was homophobic only to her children. Um, so I'll get into that in, in a minute. Um, but so there really weren't these negative messages about gay people. The only negative messages about gay people were coming from school where we were saying things like that's so gay to mean something was, you know, stupid or dumb or whatever euphemism you want to use for something that, you know, people don't really like. Um, So that was my experience with the term gay. Uh, This was my first gay friend. At first, I didn't know how to react when he told me he was gay. But then I was just like, well, I'm disabled and he doesn't have a problem with that. So that was kind of my whole coming to terms with having a gay friend thing was, well, if he accepts me, I'll accept him. I think that's a pretty good place to be if you've never had any experience with a gay person that you know of. Um, So I really thought about what he said and I began to look back through my life and there are all these examples where, man, I was really hot for women. I, you know, first crushes. And, and when I was at camp, there was this girl and I used to follow, follow her around like a puppy dog. She was a, a couple of years older than me. And I think that I was like, I didn't understand. I was attracted like she was my first crush. Um, but oh, other people noticed. Though. I'm sorry, what did you say? It's so cute though that oh, you were, yeah. that you like Yeah, it is. Um well I have crush. I have a friend who um was a lesbian. Um unfortunately she passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but she was like an older sister to me and she went to camp and she um I learned she was a lesbian years later and she said to me, Oh God, of course I knew you were LGBT. Uh, because you used to follow so-and-so around like a little puppy. And I was like, you knew then? She's like, I was just coming out during that time. And she said, uh-huh, that kid is going to be either gay or something like, you know, they're going to be LGBTQ, you know, if they don't already know that. Because she had noticed before I had any idea, um, you know, Something that that was familiar to her as an LGBTQ person. Um, So, I mean, of course, I was only like six or seven at the time. So she wasn't, you know, reaching out and saying, hey, I know you're a little kid, but I think you might be gay, Um, which I don't recommend you do to a kid anyway. Um, But but I, I just find it kind of funny in retrospect that. Everybody else seemed to know but me before me. Um, So I came back to my friend and I said, you know, I think I am attracted to women. And I began to explore that more and more. And I I didn't know what it meant to be transgender. And even though I knew a trans person, I was confused by the whole experience. I could tell you by rote that, trans and umbrella term and you know i knew all the definitions but i didn't really comprehend what it meant and i also knew that i didn't really feel like i fit with the idea that i was gay um i just knew i liked women 
knew I liked women more than I liked men. So that meant I had to be a lesbian, right? Well, not quite. So then I ended up moving away from home, which was amazing because my home life was not good. Um, Coming out made the whole experience with my family antagonistic. And that comes back to the idea that my mom is not homophobic unless it's her children. Uh, she she even said that to me. She would deny it now, but she did say to me at one point, you know, I said, I don't understand. You have gay friends. And she said flat out, it's okay if you're gay unless you're my kids. That's exactly what she said. Wow. What did, what did you say? I said, well, it's not a choice. It's not like anything I chose. Um, but she, when I came out, she told me, you can't be, um, gay and disabled. And I told her that was just ridiculous. Yeah, of course. You know, she told me, I have too much going on in my life as a disabled person. I can't, um, take my eye off the prize. And at that time, prize was, my prize was college that having a relationship was a distraction, um, you know. And, of course, I was young. One, I wanted to get laid, which I made sure to do as soon as I was able to. I don't yeah, you exactly, did. What? You said, yeah, you did. Yeah, right, you did. right. You know, I don't know a single teenager, um, again, unless they identify as asexual, who doesn't want to try and find a way to get laid just because of hormones, you know, and, um, man, my hormones were raging and I don't recommend having sex the way I did. I was like, you know, I wanted to have sex and I had it with somebody who would have sex with me. And it was not memorable because of that. I probably should have waited till, um, I got with my current partner, although I think it was good to have some experience before ending up in a long-term relationship. You know, um, I, I don't believe in waiting till marriage because I know one too many people who have gotten divorced because the sex was, they weren't compatible. And I don't think sex is the end all be all, but I think if you're not compatible sexually, that it can cause problems. So I'm really lucky that my current girlfriend and I are very compatible sexually. Um, you know, and we've been together almost 15 years. So if you're still having sex after that long, then it must be a good thing. Wow. Um, but just to finish my story about coming out as trans, um, I, I saw a documentary about someone who was trans and um, it was shortly after I started dating my girlfriend and we were watching this documentary called Southern Comfort. And the um, person who is being followed around, his name was Robert. And it's the story about how in the 90s, he developed cancer um, as a result of not having a hysterectomy and taking hormones, something that... Um, a lot of trans men need to be very careful about because hormones can lead to higher rates of cancer, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer. Um, and I believe Robert had ovarian cancer, I think. Um, I could be wrong. It could have been cervical cancer. It's, it was one of those cancers um, that are caused because of, um, you know, probably because of prolonged hormone use, um, which is why it was very important for me as a disabled person to have a hysterectomy um, within a year after starting hormones. And, and I did have a hysterectomy. And I hope that as many trans people um, who end up taking hormones can have, have that surgery because the long-term effects are devastating. Well, in the 90s, especially in the South where Robert lived, um, they didn't always let you go to the hospital. Hospitals would turn you away. And by the time he finally got to a hospital that would treat him for his cancer, he was dying. It was too late. And 
it's a heartbreaking story, but the thing I got from it the most was that everything Robert said about how he felt as a transgender person, um, it really echoed with how I had felt my whole life, you know? Um, yeah. And, and so share kind of, share kind of more of your, like, I like, guess, so how did you feel? So you didn't, like you were saying earlier, you didn't identify, you didn't identify as gay. Um, right. Um, I don't know how to explain it. I just felt different. And I always thought that difference was my disability because it's the most visible. I honestly thought every disabled person just felt, I don't know if confused is the right word, but like further marginalized beyond disability. I thought that's what everybody disabled went through. And it wasn't until I started hanging out with disabled people. Um, and I think that's another thing that the generation now has that's different than us is that um, yeah. other than camp, I didn't really hang out with more than I had a disabled best friend. We just happened to be born in the same town. It was pure luck. He had Duchenne muscular dystrophy. I had spinal muscular atrophy and we were best friends because of that. You know, um, we were the two kids in wheelchairs as teenagers in town. So we hung out, you know, but yeah, other than him, all the same stuff. what? We're going through all the same stuff together. Right, right. We understood each other. I didn't ever have to tell him how I was feeling because he already knew about yeah. the way I was treated or about what I was thinking. And it was great to have that. But what I didn't have was a community. And that's what I have now. The internet, that has really created a international community. My community extends to Australia, Asia, Europe, um, you know, there are people in South America I talk to on Twitter. I've been really enjoying, um, as much as you can enjoy, um, talking to a woman from Iran. And, you know, they're really scared there about what's happening here, about people being deported, about what's going to happen to their country, because they are not their government. The people don't always agree with their government. Most of them don't. And, you know, it's a big risk for people to talk to Americans, you know, and, and her sharing her story with me. I feel a lot of love for her in my heart. I don't know her more than Twitter. That's, you know, I don't even know if I really know her real name. But I feel such a kinship with her sharing these very personal struggles. And, and it makes me... Sorry about that, my phone. <laughs> no worries. It makes me, um, you know, want to reach out to more people in the world because her knowing that people in the U.S. are not all against immigrants, we don't all not care, we're not all our government either, it was very important to me. So, um, you know, not even just disability, just having a sense of community worldwide has has created so much for me as a disabled person, as a advocate for the world. And so. I think I think that's one of the most important things in the work you do. I wanted to touch on. I was listening to you talk, and something kind of sparked in my head. And I wanted to touch on you. And you said, you know, about a year after figuring all this stuff out, you started taking hormones because we understand that our medical the medical system both in Canada and the US and worldwide is pretty shitty when it comes to disabled people generally full stop period um i'm curious how the experience of you asking for hormones and asking for um, right well you know first it didn't it wasn't just a year it took me 7 years to get out of hormones it didn't take me a year after I started identifying as transgender, you know, and I really started that. I really started thinking about that as a result of this movie. And I started researching what it meant to be transgender on the internet. And, you know, within a couple months of that, I was, you know, pretty sure that I was trans. I knew right away after watching the movie, but I kind of wanted to take time to verify it. And of it course. was around that time. This was back in 2002. 
um, and uh, 2000, no, 2003. It was in, in spring 2003 when I came out. And it wasn't until 2010 that I started taking hormones. And that is because our system is discriminatory. And I'm not just talking about the healthcare system. I'm talking about our transportation system. Um, and I'm talking about disabled people having access to the world. Yeah. I was living at the time near Flint, Michigan. And the only transportation you have is a door-to-door curb service that goes around the county. It doesn't go anywhere but around the county. Well, there were no doctors in Genesee County that were willing to see a trans person and put them on hormones. Well, I did not have my own vehicle. I could only go by um, this wheelchair accessible van. And um, I couldn't get, at the time, my Medicaid would not take me to an appointment um, for psychological care. And this is the real bullshit here. Because at the time, I didn't have, um, well, I did have OCD, but it wasn't diagnosed or anything. I didn't have a quote unquote mental health or psychiatric diagnosis, whatever you want to call it. Um, because I did not have that, my Medicaid would not pay for me to go to the required therapy to, um, get, um, the recommendation, um, to, to, um, to an endocrinologist so that my doctor would write the um, script. I could have seen a doctor here or where I was living at the time, Genesee County, once I had the prescription, but none of the doctors would give the initial prescription. So I had to go for seven years until I moved down to Ohio. I ended up renting a van um, just to get down to Ohio because I was going back to school down down near Dayton, Ohio. So um, once we moved back to Dayton, that was another reason I wanted to move was because I had gone to school there previously and had not finished my degree because I fell out of my wheelchair and got hurt. Oh, um, no. that's, yeah, that's actually why I moved to Michigan in the first place was I was recovering and my girlfriend um, grew up there. So she had a house there. We moved, um, we ended up there for eight years. And, um, when we moved back, um, you know, I, I was able to finally get on hormones. So that was, um, a really big block, but most trans people don't have that wait list as a disabled person. I did most transgender people don't have a wait time to the extent that I do, unless they have some other extenuating circumstances, if they want to get on hormones. I knew practically right away that I wanted to be on hormones. So it would have been nice if I'd have been able to get on them in 2003. But instead, I had to wait till 2010, which has pushed back back. Um, the surgeries I've had and, and other things. So my transition has been an ongoing experience. And a large part of that is because of inaccessibility. So that's been my experience with getting hormones. Once I finally got to the right doctor, um, it wasn't an issue. My doctor had no doubt. Um, my therapist had no doubt. So, But getting getting to those services is... is, is... The hard part, especially, I I can I can just from the name Genesee County, right. I can imagine it's a tiny little, um, tiny little county, where I'm I'm envisioning where like nothing happens and it's like well it it's a poor county. It's actually the county if you've heard about the Flint water crisis, yeah, it's the same county where that's happening. So, so it's extremely poor. It's a poor county, yes. Um, a lot of the people there are um, black or other people of color, which is why we've seen all these injustices there. They don't have money for transportation services. They don't have money to replace the water. Um, and, you know, just to add as an aside, we all knew the Flint water, the Flint River was dangerous. I, you know, when when the governor is like, well, we didn't know. 
I'm sorry, you just have to go look at the Flint River. It looks like somebody, you know, dumped sewage there. It really does. It's gross. You know, we used to joke about, you know, you would get, um, what was it? Was it like X-Men or, or something? You know, you get in the toxic sludge and then you're yeah, like radioactive. Like... Right, right. We used to joke about if you'd fall in the Flint River, you become radioactive. You know, um, you become an X-Men and have all kinds of powers. And, yeah, like um, Spider-Man or something. And that's the water the governor was giving to the people. And it um, degraded the pipes, you know, so... Um, he wasn't fooling anyone. Everybody knew the Flint River was dangerous. So that's wow. That's really, uh, it's really, really bad. But let's move back to sex because I, because, because I know you have more sexy stories to share with us. I do. I do. Um, <laughs> so in our conversation before we hit record, you mentioned to me that you want to talk about BDSM. Yeah. So, why not? Why not? Let's talk about BDSM. So let's just, let's talk about it. So, Tell me some of your experiences with BDSM as a trans person with disabilities. Wow. Um, well, you know, I don't know if you're t- this type of person, but I, I'm the type of person, especially as a teenager, where you just want to rebel against everything, you know, authority, your parents. I grew up in a situation that was not very good for me. Um I feel that I was abused. My certain members of my family don't feel that I was. Um, but, you know, that's all a matter of perception, I guess. Um, but it wasn't a good situation. So, you know, wherever I could rebel, I wanted to. And I think that, unfortunately, there's this kind of naughty rebellion and not in a it should be good naughty, but I think we almost have this society has this it's bad naughty that that disabled people want to explore their sexuality. So I wanted to make it this good naughty where, you know, I was exploring my sexuality. I was exploring the fact that I had a sexuality and how freeing that was. So one of the first places I turned was the Internet. And, uh, you know, as you, as Every young disabled person that wants to hear the rocks off did. Right, right. Well, I was coming of age as the internet was coming of age. So back in the day, we were, we didn't have all the video chat and, and stuff. We had simpler stuff, you know. We had text-based chat rooms, you know. I and, remember those, Merck. Right, right. And I stumbled into a BDSM room when I was 18, and I never left. So that's how I got into BDSM. So I'm curious then, uh, what are you, you mentioned earlier that you're a voyeur? Yeah, yeah. So, so what can I ask you then, Dominic? What are your uh, what are your kinks? Oh, let's see. Um, I'm a sadist. I know most people might find that surprising, but with the right person, I'm a sadist. And um, just for the, any audience who don't know what a sadist is. Uh, I like, I guess the simple answer is I like um, people's response to pain if they want pain. I don't like it particularly that when people don't want pain and they're in pain. Although I will say that I can occasionally be an inappropriate laugher. So if my girlfriend, you know, is not hurt and is clumsy, I might accidentally laugh. So, and she knows this about me. So she just expects that I'm an insensitive jerk like that. Um, I'm picturing but, you in like a harness giggling. Right. Right. Um, but no, I, I like how people respond to pain as a stimulus. It, it gets me off. It gets me off, you know? And so I'm curious then how does, your identity as a sadist in this kink environment, how does your disability interplay with that? I think people aren't expecting it, you know. Um, Who's going to expect the guy who needs help with most of his physical needs to be this um, sadistic person who likes inflicting pain on his partner? And I think think the roles... Are reverse, yeah. That's why I think it's kind of it's gonna hop because the roles are automatically reversed. Where you don't think that someone needing what you need and your 
level of disability would be would be able to a do it and b get off on it right so i think there's something really cool about that um and really kind of important about that type of sexual expression um I think that's also why I'm attracted to the idea of dominance, too. It's the idea that disabled people are all kind of not even submissive, but doormats, kind of. I think that's um, if we are sexual, we we aren't really in control of our sexuality. I think that's a big misconception. And I like this idea of taking charge. I, I really liked being in control of my sexuality, um, but also my partner's, my partner's expression, um, in terms of, um, you know, her letting me guide her or him, depending on the partner. So. That's, I mean, that's awesome. I think, I think that disability allows for the kink to be so much more nuanced. I think Um, so. I think being disabled, a lot of times we're more open to exploration and that was it for me. I was open to it and I was willing to kind of go places that I think other people might not be willing to go because, um, you know, I like that idea of taking control of the situation and, and kind of molding it into my own experience. Totally. I think that I think that you, disability allows you to see to see kink and to see dominance and to see BDSM from a different lens and yeah. allows you to to open up to the fact that that it's going to be a little bit different and that if it's a bit weird it's okay because guess what we're already a bit weird so right that's right. going to go, go with that right and and at this point it's like well I'm disabled I'm trans I'm queer what else are you going to throw at me yeah okay so I like kinky sex you know on the yeah. in the grand scheme of things there's a lot more worse things you could say to me than saying i'm a freak for liking kinky sex because good lord you're already calling me a freak because i'm a di- i'm disabled you're calling me a freak because i'm transgendered and well let's hope you're calling me a freak because i'm queer because that's the kind of queer person i am so yeah <laughs> i mean i get the sense you're definitely a freak all the way around Oh yeah, um, and I uh, I hope you let your freak flag fly. I do, you know. It it's not something I talk about a lot, but it's there. I'm not afraid to speak about it, I, well, and I think that's why I really wanted to do this uh, discussion with you because, um, you know, this is a side of me that I don't usually talk about, um, and it's not because I'm ashamed of it or anything it's just there's so many other things i'm focused on at the time that it's kind of like well my sexuality and you know kinky play that's all kind of stuff that i reserve for for you know my girlfriend or or a partner if if we agree that that's you know my girlfriend and i are very open um to the fact that you know we understand that that you can be attracted to other people. We're both technically bisexual. I identify as queer, and she identifies as bisexual. Um, and she understands that I may be attracted to people of other genders, and the same for her. And um, as long as we're open and honest with other that that's our how our relationship works. It's not something that i recommend for everyone um but you know if there's another person that say i wanted to you know explore something kinky wise with you know and she agreed that that would be okay um you know yeah i mean i think that i think that it's really cool that you the two of you are so open about it and i think Mm -hmm. that if that that if it works for you. It doesn't work for everybody. For me, it works. Right. I consider myself to. I've never been in a relationship because of all the of all the issues surrounding disability. But I believe that when I get into one, if I do, I'm also pretty sure I'm going to be single forever. It's fine. But if <laughs> if I'm not, I consider myself. You never myself- know. You never know. You know. I I I found my girlfriend when I stopped looking. 
I had gotten out of relationship uh, recently before I started dating her and I didn't want a relationship at the time. And we were friends and she kind of returned to my life. My dad had died um, when I was 20 and I kind of blocked everybody out to deal with that because my dad and I had a lot of issues that we ended up kind of working out before he died. But it was kind of hard because I thought there was all this lost time, you know. Um, I I wish we would have discovered how to be okay with each other a lot sooner because I miss him now. And I really had to deal with that. So I shut all the people out and I was just starting to let people back in because after that happened, uh, my girlfriend and I broke up at the time. And um, my friend, who's now my girlfriend of 14 years. Um, Yay. Yeah, yeah. Um, she came back into my life. We were friends um, and we both had missed each other and it kind of evolved into there, you know. Um, I think there were sparks from the beginning of us getting back together. I'd always, like, found her attractive, but she was always dating somebody um, when we had been friends before. But it just felt like the right time and the right person just happened to come along. And we've been together and we fight all the time, but we've been together 14 years and she's my best friend and I can't imagine my life without her, you know? So there's someone out there. There's multiple someone's out there, you know, maybe. So you, you just have to wait till you're not looking because that's when it really happened for me. So I will keep the porch light on to see if anybody will respond to my faith. In the meantime, have fun. Yeah, That's what I did. Have fun. Man, I had too much fun. I had fun that people should not be having. So Amazing. Amazing. Um, <laughs> so tell me, I just, one of the last things I want to ask you about is tell me, um, I feel like the BDSM community is, try as they might, they are not very physically accessible to a lot of individuals with disabilities. What is your take on that as somebody who's exploring BDSM? Oh gosh, it is, it's horrible. When I first got into BDSM, I joined a munch in um, Dayton, Ohio. That's where I lived. They had a pretty good um, scene back then. Now this was back around 2000. um, But today there's nothing like it. You know, they really did try back then. We They had a munch at a non-accessible place. And let me tell you, every single one of those men and all the slaves, because if you have slaves, you might as well, you know, and we're not talking, you know, like, you know, we're talking BDSM slavery. Yeah, we're talking, well, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right, not not anything negative. We're talking people that slaves. chose to take on that labor. Yeah, we're talking people who've consented to this slave role. Right, right. So... You have all these slaves there. They would carry me in my wheelchair up and down steps. It was great. Today, if you ask to go to a munch and you say, hey, is it accessible? People say, oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then they don't do anything. Yeah. That's been my experience in multiple cities. So. And so how and so to go back into accessibility, both emotionally and physically, how has your experience as a trans disabled man in the trans community been have you felt like there's access for you there no okay. no there's no access for trans disabled men in either the disabled community or the trans community now i think there are certain people in the disabled community who do open the door but i've had many many negative experiences with disabled people um and and that's the most baffling to me because you know the two groups that i see treated like, just, it's taken longer for the oppression to be acknowledged, which in my mind is why it's, um, I don't want to say it's worse, because I don't think we can compare oppression. You know, what happens to people that are oppressed? It's all different, and it all sucks, and it's all bad. But I think if you 
don't know that the oppression exists, that's a whole other level of problem. Yeah. And for trans people, trans people are just starting to emerge to where people are acknowledging we're here. You know, um, that's just been in the last few years we've seen that. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, the trans bathroom issue has been a major force behind that, unfortunately, because of people not supporting it. You know, um, we, we've been going to the bathroom besides people, beside people for years, and it's never been a problem. But now that, you know, they want to label it, they're making it a problem. So, I'm giggling because of how, like, simple the way you put that is. Like, just, just so simple. <laughs> just the way you were like, we've been going to the bathroom with beside people for years. Right, right. But we have, you know, and nobody notices. We don't want to see your junk any more than you want us to see our junk. Unless I want to see your junk, in which case I'll come to the, st- the, the stall you're in and we'll do things to each other. Right. If there's consent for that. Otherwise, fuck off. Right, exactly. I don't go to the bathroom to look at people's junk. I go to look at my hair, wash my hands, and if I'm lucky enough to have the ability to transfer or have help transferring, go to the bathroom. I'm not in there, or maybe I'm there with, like, um, a friend. I'm there to accompany them. But I'm not there to see your junk. I don't know any trans woman or non-binary trans person who wants to see your junk either. You know, unless, so I mean, unless the bathroom is our is our designated, I'm gonna fuck you meet up right, spot. Like, right. I'm just talking about going to the bathroom too. Yeah, just yourself. just to use the bathroom. Then uh, that's if why you I think go up the, for sexy booty time. Then yeah, I want to see your junk, but we're not talking about sexy. Booty no, time. no, I think these laws are ridiculous. I just want to. Fu- I just want to fucking pee, man. Right, yeah. right. So anyway, um, in terms of. So you have these people, right? You have people that are just emerging and disability is not there. People don't acknowledge us. People don't consult us. We are, if we are represented, our parents or our doctors or our sisters, brothers, cousins, uncle who met us last Tuesday, they're the ones representing us. (laughs) But so, like, I don't understand how these are the people that can call me a freak for being transgender. Dude, people don't even think you're a human being. Talk about casting stones through glass houses, you know? And so that's been my experience in the disability community is there's been some really dicky assholes who are transphobic and need to get their shit together because nobody's knocking down your door to say you're a terrific human being um, as a disabled person. So um, and then the trans community, it's a it's a slightly different story. It's kind of the idea that we're kind of dismissed we're here, we might accommodate you, but, you know, everybody else is going to the party and you stay home. Like, if you, it's like like being Cinderella at the ball. Right, that is the perfect example. We're we're the one stuck, you know, cleaning the hut with the mice. Or for for trans men, Cinderfella or Cripplefella, something, you know. Cinderfella. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to add disability in there somewhere, but I just feel like all of these communities need to embrace each other more. And these, the story that you're sharing is really, really, uh, it's really kind of a, a call in to these communities to, to remember to be inclusive as opposed to exclusive. Well, you know, that's the thing I don't understand about our marginalized communities. Um, and I hear this all the time from disabled people of color, disabled trans people, disabled trans people of color, you know, Anywhere you intersect more than once, these individuals are not feeling feeling welcome in all the communities they fit in. And for different reasons, there's different reasons for non-acceptance in all those communities. Um, and, and I really hate the idea that we ever compare our struggles and our oppression. I see that all the time. You know, when we're talking about disability not being included in film, people constantly... Um, link that up with blackface. And and that's not an apt description. We need to realize we have our own issues. They may be similar and we probably should be working together so we all get inclusion, but we can't say our struggle is the same as theirs. We have to say 
your struggle is your struggle. My struggle is my struggle. Both of them suck, but let's work together. I don't yeah. understand that about the marginalized communities. You know, if you want me to care about your you, the oppression you're facing, then you need to care about the oppression I'm facing and vice versa. If I want you to care about my oppression, then, you know, I need to care about yours. Then I, I should give a shit about you. Yeah, yeah. Right. I don't see disabled people caring about people of color. I don't. Um, you know. I, I, I agree. Why? A, oh, go for, ahead. Sorry. For me, as a, as a white, cisgendered male with disabilities, when I see disabled people, people of color talking, I will automatically shut up. Right. And listen, because this is not, I do not embody that experience. I need to listen. Right. And I right. think that. We need to listen and learn from that. And then we need to go and take that knowledge and apply it in conversations with other white people. And that's kind of been my thought progress. But, you know, why are we going to expect black people, Asian people, Native Americans, why are we going to expect them to care about us if we're not working with them on issues of racial equality? They're not going to care about us if we don't care about them. That's yeah. how it works in terms of human experience. You care about me. I care about you. We're, a, you know, we may be a happy family. We may be a dysfunctional one, but at least we care about each other. And at least we try to work together, you know, um, and when so comes, I don't understand why our communities are like this. Why is the disability community so hateful towards issues of racial inequality, issues of transphobia and homophobia? And why are those communities not down with disabled people? There are black disabled people. There are Asian disabled people. There are queer disabled people. There are you know, and then we can reverse it. There are disabled black people. There are disabled queer people. So in every community, we overlap. So why are we not working together? All it does is leave the people that intersect out. So if we don't care about racial issues and they don't care about disabled issues, what the fuck are we doing to yeah, disabled exactly. people of color? Yeah, disabled people of color or disabled queer people. Right. Where are the, Leaving where them out. Yeah, and what do you do if you're a disabled queer person of color? Where the fuck is your space? Right. So I, I fully agree with you. I think intersectionality is such an important thing. And you and I could talk for hours, but I am going to <laughs> I'm going to politely end the conversation because we've been talking for you had a really nice long big conversation. You see the euphemism there? There was yeah. a pe- there was a we had a long we had a hard long conversation. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, Dominic, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and thank you so, so much for sharing your story with me. Um, thank you for asking, you know, this was so much fun. I don't talk about BDSM and, and fun kinky things enough. You know, I wish I could share all the fun stories I have. So, cause there's so much more to talk about. We should do this again. Just have like a kink exploration episode yeah the next time i do the next time i do a bigger one on kink i'll be sure to to include you because i think we you have a lot that we could talk about for sure yes Um, let's talk about crops yeah yes i like how you just went (laughs) um hey i'm a filmmaker it could be a slate (laughs) well i started as an actor i was an actor for years so oh wow so the last thing I want to ask you, um, the tagline of the show is is uh, shining a bright light on sex and disability. So what is the one thing that you want people to know about your experience as a disabled, queer, trans person? Uh, I thought you were going to ask for my phone number. I was getting excited here, well, Andrew. You know? I have that. Don't worry. I have oh, that already. Oh, okay. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I want people to know that, you know, as a disabled trans person, my experiences are not that different from anyone's else. They're not that different than anyone else's, um, but they are, they're uniquely mine, you know? Um, And I want people to know that I, can be sexual. I have 
a sexuality and it's okay to talk about that. You know, just because I am a sexual being doesn't necessarily mean I want to have sex with you. Not you, Andrew. Everybody wants to have sex with you. We know that. That um, is correct. That is that is correct and accurate. Thank you. Oh, well, you know, I've been hearing things. You know. <laughs> you never oh. know. You never know. You know, it's like I said, you never know. Um, you never know where your next booty call is going to come from, right? Amazing. Right. So, um, no, I I just think that don't be afraid of the topic. And, and I want disabled people to not be afraid to explore their sexuality. That's what I really want. I often talk to non-disabled people, but um, you've given me the opportunity to talk to disabled people, too. And I want them to know, be fearless. You know, don't be afraid to explore what you're interested in and um but always be safe always be safe be cautious and have fun because that's what it's all about right yeah it's all about getting off and enjoying yourself right um so you have so many so you're 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 basically a superstar on social media but if somebody wants to follow you and follow what you're doing how can they get a hold of you yeah they can follow me on twitter um, my at name is Dominic Evans. That's spelled D-O-M-I-N-I-C-K. And then Evans is just Evans, but I'll spell it just in case. E-V-A-N-S. So my name's Dominic, like the traditional kind with a K on it. So, and they can also look me up under the name Dominic M. Evans. Um, and you can follow my Facebook page. So. Fantastic. And I, I will, we're definitely going to get people coming out to film this and to coming to those, to those Twitter chats because they're really important, bringing the intersectionality of disability in film and talking about the characterizations of disability in film. And I want to talk to, I want to work with you to start a sexuality-based chat around disability in film. So we Let's we'll talk do about, it. For Let's sure. I think, I think that would be so fun. It um, will be so fun and so well, it, it'll be fun anyway because i'm leading it you know of course because you're amazing of course right uh, of course so no, don't don't keep saying that that goes to my head which one? Oh, oh, oh good question <laughs> both so, both there you go that's a good good answer yeah. so dominic thanks for the awesome hour and a half flirtation we just had um of course i want to thank you so much for your time and for being on disability after dark You've given us some really important insights to talk about, and I want to thank you for your time. Thank you, Andrew, and thanks for all you do for in terms of disability and sexuality, because I think it's an often neglected topic, and your work, you know, you talk about me being amazing, but just the stuff you've done in Toronto, it makes me want to come to Toronto and just have a fun, you know, amazing kinky weekend because you know like you had the event you know the disability um sexy disability event yeah we don't have that here so um you know can we talk about like an intercontinental party or but something if, if we could get if we could get and i'm working on another on another version of that to come soon i'm not sure how that's gonna look but at some point something's gonna be up and running but i'd love to do it again so if we can for anybody who's listening who, you know, wants to sponsor this or wants to help put this together to get it out into other parts of the world other than Toronto, I'm all ears, guys. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Dominic, thank you so much for your time. It was so great talking to you, and we're going we're gonna to talk off the air, but thank you, and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thank you. You see, I told you we had a lot to say, and I told you the interview would be jam-packed, and I was right. It was a really fun, long-form discussion where I just kind of sat back and listened. Um, as, as, I, as I told you, you'd hear me not say very much, and that's, that's really the truth. I didn't say a lot, and I was glad to just sit back and let Dominic share his story. I think hearing these stories from disabled individuals that intersect with different identities is so critical and I love the fact that I get to do that every week with a new guest or I get to share my story with you. It's just been so great. And this episode is one of my favorites by far. And I can't thank Dominic enough. 
Just very briefly before we end, I want to let you know that since recording this episode with Dominic, Dominic has decided to launch his own podcast. I highly recommend that you subscribe to it after listening to this. And to do that, you want to go to Apple and you want to click on Disrupt the Media Podcast. The podcast explores media representation of disability. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you, head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. This episode of Disability After Dark is a handmade piece of crippled content created just for you. We record, edit, and produce each piece of this show to bring disability to you in a fresh, honest, and sexy way. Help us create more episodes and support crippled content creation by heading over to our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash and pledging if you can. Your monthly pledge goes towards things like audio equipment, podcast hosting subscriptions, and everything we need to bring this disability-centered program to you. By pledging your support, you're showing that disability content has value, means something, and deserves a place in our media landscape. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, music, and audio recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.